Planet Worker, a world in development. Human Agency and International Development Series. Episode 18, Modes of Development, Child Sponsorship. In this episode, we examine the origins and intricacies of child sponsorship as a mode of transferring funding from northern private donors to communities in the south. To do so, we explore one of the foremost child sponsorship international NGOs, Plan International. Plan International is an international development NGO with a staff base of over 9,000 employees working in operations spanning 74 countries. Plan is registered in the United States and has an operating headquarters registered in the United Kingdom. Plan's origins date to 1937, during the Spanish Civil War, when the founder, a British journalist John Langdon Davies, established the organisation together with a relief volunteer, Eric Muggeridge. The initial purpose of the organisation was to provide support to children displaced or orphaned by the conflict in Spain, with financial support from individual donors in the US and UK. The support included the provision of housing, feeding and care to orphaned or displaced children. During World War II, Foster Parents' plan for war children was established with headquarters in New York City and helped displace children from all over Europe. Again, with the financial support primarily provided by individual donors in the US. Following the end of World War II and into the 1950s, plans focus shifted beyond Europe to incorporate assistance to children in less developed countries who were not directly affected by conflict. Starting in the 1950s, foster parents' plan expanded into the global south and into the business of development and poverty alleviation. As a result, the reference to war children was removed and the official name became Foster Parents Plan Incorporated. In 1974, the organization's name was shortened to Plan International and subsequently simply as Plan. Although technical, this renaming reflected significant changes in the outlook and positioning of Plan as a development agency. Tracking the institutional evolution of Plan illustrates a congruence with the shifting nature of international assistance and governability and how international NGOs like Plan have adapted to maintain their position in the discourse and institutionalization of development ideology. Over time, Plan has evolved its approach to mirror pervading development transitions and narratives. Yet child sponsorship has remained the cornerstone of the organization's business model and has had significant implications for its strategic orientation. Perhaps more than any other feature of Plan, Child sponsorship has retained essential elements of global discourse and governmentality and demonstrates both the emergence of neoliberal development discourse while simultaneously retaining core aspects of its neocolonial heritage. In the period predating UN development origins in 1948, Plan's historical development is founded in the welfareism of the early years of the development eras. Foster parenting of poor and vulnerable children in the South by wealthier financial donors in northern publics has remained the cornerstone of Plan's operations and work for the first 60 years of its existence. From its inception, Plan has relied on child sponsorship as its foundation for raising funding and providing its race and detra. Post-1948, child sponsorship situated itself well in the modernization model of development characteristic of the UN-inspired development decades, consolidating the notion of poor children in third world contexts, being helped to modernize their opportunity and their society. The paternalism inherent in the structure of sponsorship, a benevolent donor providing relief to a seemingly helpless child. 
ignored the complexities of locality and culture and simplified the relationship around the emotional gratification of the donor. For decades, sponsored children have been befuddled by strident messages of expectation and encouragement from their sponsors about whom they have a vague notion. In its early stages and until the 1980s, child sponsorship involved the provision of financial and project support activities to children and their families, confirming the individualist welfarist orientation of the system. It was essentially a direct form of giving between donor and recipient, designed for the short-term support of undernourished children, primarily within family or institutional settings at times of chronic food shortages. For PLAN and other child sponsorship agencies, this was actually part of what is seen as an effective fundraising strategy, in that the circumstance of the child, expressed through their emotional expression and physical condition, should testify to their need and render them worthy of help. It is therefore not surprising that northern perceptions of the South are primarily founded upon imagery of children depicting poverty, destitution and deprivation. These children have effectively become the post-colonial representation of the South, although the religious connotations attached to sponsorship have evolved over time. The perception of sponsorship as forming part of a pseudo-religious moral commitment remains strong. This is largely the legacy of references such as Godchildren and Godparent in early sponsorship communications, as well as the preponderance of faith-based sponsorship organisations. Sponsorship is viewed by many in the development sector as an enduring fundraising scheme that is fraught with contradiction. The single sponsor-child relationship is viewed by many to create a personal or intimate emotional connection between the sponsor and the child, based on a feeling of responsibility on the part of the sponsor. However, the special mess of this relationship is debatable, as the incidences of enduring, meaningful relationships between sponsors and sponsored children are rare, and sponsors are almost entirely oblivious to the true realities of the child's lived experience or plans field operations and development approach. In fact, the special relationship is less important than the symbolic value of sponsored children, and hence not a requisite for the success of sponsorship, which is to raise funds for plan. While acting as a potent driver for the construction of the identity of people of the South, sponsorship plays an important role in forming and reinforcing identities for those in the North. The marketing and communication by child sponsorship NGOs play an important role in recreating northern perceptions of the South. Repeated exposure to media images heavily influence consumer attitudes and beliefs, particularly on the social reality of children in developing country contexts with which they are unfamiliar. The cumulative effect of graphic presentations of the poverty and deprivation of children in need have entrenched stereotypical notions of Africa and, by extension, all poor countries and regions as being rife with poverty, disease and malnourishment. In this way, a consumer perception of reality could become formed or distorted. By portraying children in the South as the other, marketing communication has important ideological consequences and plays an important role in the conveyance of representations of the Global South by the North and the relation between the two, from the initial emotional marketing pitch and throughout the sponsorship cycle. The sponsor and their experience becomes the focus of the scheme, with continuous and nuanced messaging as to how they should conceptualise and feel about sponsorship. Sponsorship organisations like PLAN are careful to reinforce the positive ethical subject of the Northern sponsor, 
who is being good by helping the seemingly helpless and needy southern child. This, of course, replicates the ethical concerns of racial colonialism expressed by the northern objective of civilising the South, and thereby saving it from barbarism. Sponsorship has facilitated a seamless process of construction of a northern white identity as being the good saviour of the southern other, and hence the transition from colonialism to international development. The construction of the individual ethical goodness of the sponsor is an important legitimator for the development work of sponsorship organisations, indeed of international development itself. The sponsor chooses to be good and effectively becomes better through their sponsorship. This is linked conceptually to the goodness of development work, both in its global sense and in that the organisation is an agent of it. The ethical construction of North-based donors and agencies is necessary. And good is essential to the shift from colonial to neoliberal development, and is one of the powerful defining features of sponsorship. The legitimation of the sponsor as an ethical subject is a key component of the race and detra of the organisations. The origins of child sponsorship, and in many instances the organisation itself, are prominent in the mythology and communications of the sponsorship agencies. Like many other INGOS, Plan's founding story is of a luminary founder, John Langdon Davies, supported by a worthy colleague, Eric Motherich, who is exposed to the suffering of distant children, often through travel or missionary work, and is deeply affected by their plight. This experience is transformative and leads the person, a true humanitarian at heart, to start an organisation to help the particular children in question. By associating themselves with such a worthy person, the sponsor is affirming their own ethical identity. Becoming good by associating themselves with the efforts of such an ethical exemplar as the founder. The shift to community development, outlined later in this podcast series, mirrored the emergence of neoliberal development ideology. Individualised support to children or families was viewed as a vestige of charity and community-wide development projects were promoted by experts as more efficient and effective ways to deliver benefit and achieve social change objectives. The move from individualised support to community development programming also had implications for the ability of sponsorship agencies to report on and confirm benefits to sponsored children. In plan, this has created a disjuncture between the ability to report upon the material benefits to sponsored children an attribution of benefit from broader community projects. Plan attempted to address this by defining and measuring a set of discrete sponsorship commitments. But this was introduced to address the risk of public exposure of a lack of discernible benefit to sponsored children and the problems this would pose for marketing communications. Several of these shifts represent crucial transitions by plan to maintain and legitimise their position in the broader political economy of international development. The first is from a colonial motivation to civilise, to one of asserting the core motivation for development. A second is the move from a humanitarian context, primarily the conflicts of the Spanish Civil War and World War II, where the focus was specifically on abandoned, orphaned or displaced children, to locations or settings where all children, their families and communities required development support to address conditions of poverty. And thirdly, an expansion of operations and support from specific locations and events, such as conflict, to a focus on children across countries and regions defined by their socio-economic developmental status. Implicit in these transitions is the progression of developmentalism, 
rather than the motivation for support being humanitarian, a response to conflict, political colonial, an impetus to control and civilize, more religious, to convert. The driving rationality was to develop in response to the poverty of the South. This rationality was a necessary condition for the centrality of neoliberalism in development discourse, where the appropriate strategy for escaping poverty was to reinforce the economic identity of the subject and advance their integration into the global economic order. A shift in sponsorship as a development modality, therefore, became a necessary condition for the legitimization of plan as a development actor. This transition came over an extended period, taking plan four decades to move from a focus on orphans and displaced children from the early 1950s to the full adoption of a community development model in the early 1990s. This prolonged period of transition reflected a need to retain and manage an operational model based on sponsorship, while responding to the impetus of development toward participatory, community development models of practice. In the context of the latter, the idea of an individualized relationship between a sponsor and a sponsored child, and which sought to privilege support to the child, did not fit the notion of interventions engaging with and benefiting the collective, the community. In this way, PLAN was able to position itself over time within the mainstream development practice, while at the same time reinforced the legitimacy of development as requiring broad-based economic strategies to address underdevelopment in the South as a whole. Given its highly individualized nature, sponsorship may be considered at odds with development's preoccupation with the collective. On the contrary, sponsorship is entirely compatible with the neoliberal emphasis on individual relationships with and positioning in the broader economy, and that development should primarily prepare the child for their future economic life, rather than being seen as welfare as charity. Practical support in the form of commodities or services to sponsored children and their families could be viewed as establishing the conditions for future opportunity to become economically active. In addition, individualization consolidates both the construction of the other with potential sponsors and the attraction of becoming the ethical subject through their financial support by providing a needy person with a face and a name. Conversely, collective approaches may be viewed with disfavor if they do not prepare and condition the individual for economic participation. For example, through livelihood training, entrepreneurship, employability and credit participation, this reinforces the acceptance of the collective only as a corrective or conditioning mechanism for individual advancement to be a productive economic actor. And, at times, the failure of the group becomes a useful scapegoat for the failure of the development initiative itself. In plan, sponsorship is a development problem only insofar as it is a financial risk. In that, a perceived lack of benefit for sponsored children could become a public relations risk to the financial support garnered through sponsors. Most of PLAN's organizational effort is therefore directed to ensuring the business process of sponsorship is maintained and focused upon the reproduction of sponsorship as a fundraising system. This is the development problem presented by sponsorship, not to ensure the development of underdeveloped children in the South, but to ensure the continued support of sponsors in the North. Success is measured by the combination of enduring commitments embraced by a significant portion of sponsors who provide the financial foundation for all of PLAN's operations. To do so, sponsorship plays a crucial role in reinforcing key elements of neocolonialism. 
It serves to entrench the perception of people of the South as the other, preserving of support but lacking in capacity. It further reinforces the view that the responsibility for and solutions to poverty in the South are individualized. And it is jointly the responsibility of the grateful receiver, the child and their family, and the good giver, the donor, to solve it. This provides the requisite distance from the real causes of inequality, and poverty, and between the donor and recipient, and steers well clear of any link to a concept of restrictive justice. Sponsorship also confirms the modality for addressing the social features of poverty, and inequality as being economic, and the solution being financial, specifically the provision of funds. And the more funds that can be raised, the more plan can do development. In this way, sponsorship serves as a crucial legitimating scheme for plan's entire scope of operations, and, indeed, development as a whole, while plan's project work at community level serves as the focus of its development phase. Quitting fundraising with the capacity to do development ensures plans fundraising takes on an ethical mantle as a necessary good. It fosters a state of affairs in which the work of international development in the South, that is, helping the world's poor to progress, is completely aligned with the work of organizational development in the North, that is, increasing the size, the scope, and, most importantly, the revenue of an organization. Hence, sponsorship plays an essential role in sustaining plan as an institution, in that it transfers the ethical value of doing development through the community development project to the effort to raise the funds for it. This misrecognition of a fundraising mechanism for development is a necessary condition for plan to ensure its financial growth and sustainability, and critical to legitimize its pursuit of financial growth by tying the goodness of the donor and its own fundraising success to the success of development. PLAN has created a virtuous cycle and ethical alignment affirming the full scope of fundraising and the quest for financial growth. The more the donor gives, the better they all get, and the bigger PLAN is, the better it can do development. In effect, the growth of the organisation from greater donations signifies development success and justifies any of its marketing strategies and competitive behaviour. This is despite the fact that little evidence existed on the development impact on sponsored children before or after introduction of its child-centred community development model. Planned fundraising officers are well aware that their communication and marketing efforts is to create a perception of the South that merely confirms northern public stereotypes of the South. There have been disparate attempts to mitigate this through standards and guidance for pictorial representation of children and their contexts and more explanatory donor education in communication and marketing material. Nevertheless, these are superficial at best. Given the contending interests to present the need of the southern child and a case for support to the northern donor, and the cultural fixity of these perceptions in the north, it is no coincidence that education has featured significantly in sponsorship-funded programs in plan, and that these are promoted extensively to sponsors. For northern donors, education represents the primary mechanism through which the poor of the South escape poverty and achieve upward mobility. In other words, achieve development and attain the same level of capacity or understanding of those in the North. This confirms neoliberalism's premise that individuals should assume a responsibility for their own development by learning or the facilitation thereof. It also confirms the superiority of the North as educated and as a result financially endowed. 
and that through their financial donation they are able to confirm their power and superiority. For PLAN, a focus on education plays an important confirmatory role for its program approach in two respects. The first is that education in a developing context is a complexity of systems related difficulties and dependencies and generates a wide variety of activities and actors, and their respective responsibilities and interdependencies. As a result, measures and attribution for development success are indistinct. A generic approach allows any educational-related activity to be deemed legitimate without subjecting it to rigorous accountability. This translates into generic marketing and communication narratives that reinforce the perception of sponsorship as a worthy development approach. A second important role is that education complements plans focus on the girl as the worthy focus of development effort. As outlined later in this podcast series, plans focus on girls represents a neoliberal congruence between the requirements to prepare girls for economic participation, while positioning education as a key population control strategy. An educated girl has fewer children. Both development tropes play into the northern donors' racialized stereotypes of southern children, personified by the girl who is impoverished by lack of education, which is consequently exacerbated by her excessive reproduction, and that renders a context of poverty only solvable by the intervention of actors from the north. In this case, plan and its donors. Racialization is inherent in the sponsorship dynamic. Almost exclusively, it is white northern fundraising staff formulating marketing and communication material for white northern donors that present continuous images of poor black children in the South. This reinforces a neo-colonial power relationship of racial superiority, in that it is the capacitated northern donor who acts to exert their agency, while the South child simply experiences and is unable to help themselves. They have to be saved by the white donor and, by doing so, confirm the ethical and knowledge superiority of the North donor. In this way, the relationship mimics the knowledge power of development, where the North expert exerts power over development actors in the South through the imposition of knowledge. Child sponsorship enhances this by encouraging sponsors to write to their sponsored child, the content of which is often to exhort the child to greater effort while projecting their expectations. The child, on the other hand, is expected to convey information aligned to the sponsor's expectations, and often to draw pictures of their aspirations which have little bearing on the nature of support or development programming funded by sponsorship. Their letters may also be censored by sponsorship staff to ensure their acceptability. There are two constructs inherently at work here. The first is the donor that has become good or a better individual by virtue of their contribution and response to the child's perceived need. An ethical construct that gets stronger the more and longer they continue their contribution. On the other hand, the sponsored child becomes symbolic of the failure of the South expressed by the individualized conditions of underdevelopment of the poor. They are the needy, responsible for, but incapable of addressing their circumstance, and therefore requiring the help provided by the worthy benefactor. The operational demands and cost of sponsorship was a key factor in the shift from directed support to families to a broader approach to community development. While sponsorship is an effective fundraising mechanism, it poses problems for plans, development practice and operations. 
The challenges inherent in sponsorship created difficulties for development implementation at local levels and introduced complex relational challenges with local groups and families. Sponsorship requires high levels of compliance and accountability from representatives of families and community groups, as well as facilitators in the form of community volunteers, who were given responsibilities for many aspects of the process at locality level. The rationale of representation and the nature of selection were not well understood by local people, and many misunderstandings and tensions emerged within and between families with sponsored children. The selectivity of children for support is inherently discriminatory in two ways. One or more children within a family are sponsored and their siblings are not, and some families are sponsored and their neighbours are not. This could lead to the social risk of privileging children and their families where they may become subject to stigmatization or suspicion. More recently, requirements to meet the demands of PLAN as a girl organization have complicated messaging and relationships. The implication of this at an operational level is the emphasis that girls should be predominant in sponsorship programs, both as sponsored children and in the perceived benefits from participation in sponsorship. While this instrumentalist approach to addressing gender disparity provides additional impetus to plans branding and marketing by personifying a deserving child for consumption to Northern supporters, it undermines plans stated non-discriminatory stance with families and community groups participating in sponsorship. Plan's emphasis on girls is underpinned by both push and pull factors. Plan actively promotes a preponderance of girls in its sponsorship program to a ratio of 65%. And potential sponsors are steered toward choosing a girl by a barrage of communication and marketing messaging. On the other hand, and perhaps as a response to this, women's sponsors have by and large expressed a desire for a girl as their sponsored child. The two may obviously be mutually reinforcing but the preference may also be related to the oppressed position of femininity, which has a long history of being more readily possessed and bartered than masculine forms. As a consequence, PLAN experiences a residual resistance to sponsorship in many of its sponsorship areas, often of a passive nature represented by declining participation in sponsorship activity, absenteeism and a lack of communication. More actively, increasing numbers of families and children are resisting sponsorship and questioning the construction of their identity as representative of needy southern children. Religious motivations and cultural sensitivities can often create more dissent and suspicion in sponsorship processes. Although PLAN purports to be non-religious in its outlook and operations, the religiosity and ethnic identity, coupled with embeddedness of its local staff and volunteer network, acts to entrench religious cultural features in its practice. This has implications for both the mode of support provided by the organisation and its identity. In the case of the former, religion may affect the selection of children and communities, with both the criteria and the partments. For example, local churches or faith groups reflecting inherent bias. In regard to the latter, communication, messaging and activity protocols. For example, opening a meeting with a prayer may solidify the religious identity with participants. Despite plans' efforts to present its non-discriminatory identity, selection bias exhibited by sponsorship agencies like PLAN 
may be compounded by astute families working the system to their advantage. Given that sponsorship is directly managed by plan, without detailed coordination with either government or other agencies on selections and caseloads, families may select the sponsorship that most benefits them or participate in multiple sponsorship and beneficiary programs. There have also been numerous instances of duplicate sponsorships within PLAN, presumably providing both PLAN and the family concerned with the opportunity to maximise returns from a single child sponsorship. Beyond developmental and existential risks, individualised sponsorship creates more pressing operational problems for PLAN related to costs, targeting and sponsored child caseload maintenance. Individualization requires one-to-one selection and monitoring activity, repeatedly carried out over the life of the sponsorship. Sponsorship communications need to be produced, translated and transferred, while any disruptions to the process need attention and resolution. For example, caused by the child moving location, experiencing harm or illness, or exhibiting resistance. The business process of maintaining sponsorship is time and resource intensive, requiring significant bodies of staff, systems, and managerial oversight, and leading to ongoing cost pressures for plan. Despite this, child sponsorship remains an important source of revenue for NGOs like plan, and, consequently, the structure of child sponsorship remains remarkably resilient to change. Planet Worker, a world in development.